verse 1, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw, standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, and what is in it, the earth, and what is in it, and the sea, and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky. That no rain may fall during the days of the prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague, as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them, and conquer them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom. And Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But After the three and a half days, a breath of life from God 
entered them. And they stood up on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces. And worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. Who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. As we know, this is the word of God. Lots for us to get to grips with tonight as we, as we consider God's word. These things that have been written that we might know what is yet to happen. And that we might come away knowing that our God is in control. And worshipping our God just like those 24 elders worshipped. Let's just quickly orientate ourselves. I'm never a great fan of recaps. So this is going to be a very, very, very quick recap. But just so we don't get lost in the middle of Revelation, let's just recap. So, grand scheme of future events. So, church age, you know, the time in which we live just now, the next thing that we look for is the rapture, the return of the Lord Jesus to the air to take us to be with himself. After the rapture comes this period that we've been reading about, described in the majority of the book of Revelation, the tribulation, in which the second three and a half years is going to be a particularly awful time of great tribulation on this earth. So that period, that total period of seven years, will then lead into the return of the Lord Jesus to the earth to reign, to reign for his millennial reign for a thousand years. And then, after that, of course, he will reign forever. So right now, we're in the middle of the book of Revelation. And we're reading of events in this time of tribulation. So let's just, we're now going to zoom in on this bit here, the tribulation. Okay, happens after the church has been removed. We will not go through this tribulation. 
So let's home in on this tribulation because we've seen that there are lots of judgments. I've stolen a slide here from Paul. Well, he sent it to me, so it's not really theft. Um, but it's a really useful slide um, because it, it helps us to get, the, uh, to, get, get to grips with these telescopic judgments of Revelation. You'll remember the idea. We read of seven seals. And uh, the first six seals are described in Revelation 6. The seventh, well, there's, there's a pause between sixth and seventh seal. Uh, seventh seal described in Revelation 8. And that telescopically opens, in, opens up the way into these seven trumpets. We heard of trumpets 1 to 6 in Revelation 8 and 9 last week. And now we're in a pause uh, from Revelation 10 uh, to chapter 11 and verse 14 before the seventh trumpet is sounded. And then we read of the seventh trumpet uh, tonight. Seventh trumpet sounded and it opens up into seven vials or seven bowls. Still quite a few chapters away before we're actually going to read of those seven vials or seven bowls. But these judgments basically uh, going, going on through this period of tribulation described in Revelation. The last three trumpets also uh, described as three woes, the first, second and third woe, um, as, as, as you might have noticed. So tonight, where are we? We're starting off in an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet, and then we read of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, and some weeks down the line we'll read of these seven vials, seven bowls, these further judgments to come. So I hope that serves by way of orientation without recapping too much over what has happened previously. Let's get to the big picture. Our God is in control. We're going to learn three lessons this evening. We're going to learn from chapter 10, first of all, that our God will intervene. Our God will intervene. We read in chapter 10 of the angel and the little scroll and of uh, something that does sound at first glance it seems quite strange and quite difficult for us to get the point of and uh, we're going to delve into that just in a little minute what was going on with this angel and the scroll in general terms as we look at things getting worse you know we might even think this in present times we see evil getting worse and we might say why does God seem to hold back when is he going to intervene? How long before he intervenes? And particularly in the time of tribulation that we're reading about uh, just now, you, know, you, you, you may recall that back in chapter 6, those who had been martyred cried out that very question, How long? How long, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, chapter 6, verse 10, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? When are you going to intervene? When are you going to complete your judgment on the earth that, that, that rebels against you? How long, God, before you'll, you'll bring things to a conclusion? Complete your judgment and bring, a, uh, bring in the reign of the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to see as we look at chapter 10 that our God will intervene. So this angel appears a mighty angel another mighty angel the word for another by the way describes another of the same type and of course we've just been reading of angels and this is a, is, is a literal angel it would appear another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud Cloud sometimes reminds us of judgment, and of course we're, we're, we're reminded of the Lord Jesus, of course, back in chapter 1 and, and uh, verse 7, and uh, uh, how it describes that he is coming with clouds. 
chapter 1 yeah, and verse 7 there we go. he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him so when this angel comes, this mighty angel comes wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and we've seen rainbows as well in, in Revelation we've seen a rainbow um, uh, surrounding God on his, on his throne, chapter 4 and verse 3, around the throne in heaven was a rainbow of course rainbows, what do rainbows take us back to? they take us back to God's covenant mercy God making that covenant with, with Noah after the flood and his mercy on Noah his face, this angel, was like the sun and of course that does remind us chapter 1 and verse 16 the Lord Jesus whose face was like the sun shining in full strength and sun reminds us of glory his legs were like Pillars of fire, well, sometimes pillars of fire remind us of God's presence. Remember God's presence in the wilderness in Exodus? But sometimes fire reminds us of judgment and God's holiness in in, in judgment. So this angel, this mighty angel comes. And it is a literal angel, it would appear. Comes and uh, it's got this little scroll, verse 2 open in his hand. Now we've met the scroll we've seen the scroll before of course because we think back to chapter 5 and chapter 6 and of course um, the, 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 the question then was was anyone worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls and then um, the Lord Jesus basically the, the, the uh, uh, lion of the tribe of Judah um, he was worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. So this scroll is now open basically. It's been opened it's been, it, 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 the seals have been broken and the scroll, of course, reveals all the terrors of the divine judgment that's, that's yet to come. And this angel is standing there and his right foot's on the sea, verse 2, his left foot's on the land. A few verses down we read of his right hand and raising his right hand to heaven. And it's like all the spheres of the created order, land, sea, heavens being united and uh, reminds of chapter 5 and verse 13 where uh, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever because you know what we're, we're seeing here we're seeing God's sovereign authority to judge the entire earth and this angel calls out with a loud voice, verse 3, like a, a lion roaring. And seven thunders sound, and seven often reminds us of completeness, perfection. Thunder often reminds us of judgment to come. In chapter 8 and verse 5 of Revelation, and there was peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. And this must have been a truly awesome scene and John's about to uh, write down what he's heard from these seven thunders sounding and he's told not to he said seal up what the seven thunders have said there's something communicated to John through these seven thunders seal it up don't write it down and we don't speculate further on that do we 
you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes when it comes to the Word of God, and maybe particularly when we come to the book of Revelation, we like to speculate about the things that we're not told. And uh, sometimes we can be most dogmatic about the things that we're not actually told. And if it's not revealed to us, if we're not told it, we just leave it at that. We just accept that. And we say, well, God in his wisdom has chosen not to reveal this to us, so we're not going to try and second guess what was revealed in these seven thunders. So the angel, verse 5, raises his right hand to heaven, swears by him who lives forever and ever. You see, our God is eternal. Swears by him who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. Um, Because God's authority is, as we said, all-encompassing, completely sovereign. But there will be, verse 6, no more delay. So if the martyrs back in chapter 6 have been asking how long, and if we reading this book have been wondering, well, how long, how long before God intervenes and brings to a conclusion his judgments and ushers in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus, there's going to be no further delay, the angel says in verse 6. There's going to be no more delay. The seventh trumpet, the trumpet call sounded by the seventh angel, is about to be sounded. The mystery of God will be fulfilled. God's ultimate purposes will be fulfilled. You know, God will demonstrate his absolute righteousness and judgment. And what is God's ultimate purpose? Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verses 9 and 10. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And everything is going to be united under Christ's headship and Christ's kingdom is going to be brought to fulfilment and that's just as it was announced verse 7 to his servants the prophets you know think back to the the Old Testament prophets so many of them had been told bits of this and they had had revelation a part of this you think of Daniel or you think of Ezekiel or you think of Isaiah or Jeremiah, or Joel, or Amos, or Zechariah. It had been revealed that this was going to come. And Christ's kingdom was going to come to fulfillment. And it's going to happen. And then John is told to come and actively participate. He's told to go, uh, verse 8, and... Take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel. And he goes and he says to the angel, give me the scroll. And the angel says, take and eat it. Take and eat it. You see, if we're going to communicate the truth of the word of God to others, we've got to assimilate it first to ourselves. And apply it to ourselves first. Before we can usefully communicate it to others. 
And John's told to eat it, and it reminds us of something that uh, Ezekiel uh, experienced back in Ezekiel chapter 3. And John's told something. You take and eat it. It's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth. It's going to make your stomach bitter. As the revelation of God's judgment on a rebellious world being brought to completion as that is communicated and then as Christ's kingdom being ushered in his reign being established as that is communicated it's a real bittersweet moment it's going to be a real bittersweet moment quite literally for John you see it's a, it's a sweet moment because God is going to intervene to bring about his purposes to demonstrate his absolute sovereign righteous character and his right to judge wickedness and to put all things right and it's sweet because then the reign of Christ will be established but there's a, there's a bittersweet bit to it as well isn't there you see the things that are going to happen are going to be quite awful the things that are going to happen on this earth now as we saw earlier we are going to be gone raptured with Christ forevermore we're not going to go through it but as we read of judgment oh we rejoice in God's perfect righteousness I was read of these things with any sort of glee. You know, sometimes, sometimes you hear people talking about judgment. I'm not thinking about anyone I've heard off this platform here. But sometimes you hear about people talking about judgment. And it's almost like they're getting some sort of pleasure or talking, talking about it with glee. May it never be so. You know, as we read of these events, and realise that while it's okay for us, you know, this should be one of many things that spurs us on to warn all those around us of what's coming. If they are not saved, and therefore not going to be taken at that rapture. And if we care about, if we love those around us, we're going to do everything we can to warn them, aren't we? We're not going to take any sort of, you know, sense of glee at what's about to happen, which is, is going to be awesome and dreadful. And our desire, just like, when you think of the Apostle Paul, his desire for his, for his fellow countrymen, his desire for Israel was that they would repent and be saved. And he described that in Romans. And our heartfelt desire for those around us, while rejoicing that it's well with our soul, our heartfelt desire for those around us should be that they will repent and believe. So it's a bittersweet moment for John and he's told that he's got to prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings and really it's, it's, that's completing a chain of communication that started way back in chapter 5 when uh, 
there was this scroll and uh, chapter 5 and verse 7 and the Lord Jesus takes the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne it's communicated from God to Christ to angel to John to the churches there's that line of communication and John's told you've got to prophesy about many people and nations and languages and kings and what do we get from all that? we get that our God will intervene our God will intervene so things are getting worse and in the passage that we're in, 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 in the, the, the passages that we've been looking at in Revelation things are getting worse and mankind's rebellion we saw this last week mankind's rebellion against God is plain for all to see we might wonder well on a day like that is there going to be anybody left to witness for God will God have his witnesses well from chapter 11 verses 1 to 14 we see that our God has his witnesses he's never left without a witness and he won't be left without a witness in in that day and suddenly two remarkable and faithful witnesses appear and John is first of all he's given a a measuring rod at start of chapter 11 like a staff he's told to measure the temple of God and the altar that's like the inner temple and the part that makes up the the holy place and and the holy of holies and uh, those who worship there the remnant of believing Jews alive during the tribulation they're worshipping God and they're being marked out and there's more to it probably than just a physical measuring exercise it's marking out the parameters of God's possessions and those that are believing and that God will spare but outside is left out the court outside is left out uh, out of this the court of the Gentiles that's given over to the nations they'll trample the holy city that's Jerusalem for 42 months do the maths that's three and a half years so remember we saw that particularly in that second three and a half years of the tribulation when things would be particularly bad and uh, the Gentiles would trample the holy city Jerusalem for 42 months and during that time these two faithful witnesses will prophesy for 1260 days do the maths on that if we have uh, 12 months of 30 days each that gets you to a 360 day year times 3.5 that gets you to 1260 days so we're likely looking here from the midpoint of the tribulation to just before the sounding of the 7th trumpet and these two witnesses will prophesy, proclaim the truth, clothed in sackcloth. And of course sackcloth in scripture denotes mourning. Think in Jonah, think in the people of Nineveh when they repented and they, they clothed, dressed in sackcloth. And while the holy city is being trampled, these two witnesses will prophesy. They'll, they'll proclaim God's message of judgment. And... Uh, as things are getting really, really, really horrific, they'll faithfully proclaim God's message of judgment. And they'll preach so that the Jewish remnant have the opportunity to, to, to believe and to enjoy God's protection. Now, there's also suggestions about, and speculation about who these two witnesses might be. And 
probably the most popular suggestion is Moses and Elijah. Um, you can see reasons why people might say that uh, when they look at the sort of things that they're able to do in terms of uh, shutting the sky that no rain may fall during the days of the prophesying and uh, uh, turning waters into blood and uh, striking the earth with every kind of plague. And uh, you can see why people think of, of, of Moses and Elijah, and it may well be. But again, let's just say, well, if we're not told who they are, let's not get too hung up about speculating. They are two witnesses. And, uh, you know, anyone who tries, as they continue to, to faithfully preach, to faithfully prophesy, people will try to silence them, and they'll try to kill them. And you see what happens, verse 5. If anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth, consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he's doomed to be killed. They've got the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall. Imagine that, if there's drought on top of everything else that's going on. The waters could be turned to blood. The earth struck with every kind of plague. And nobody can silence these two witnesses. Nobody can stop them prophesying. Nobody can stop them testifying. No matter how much they want to, and people desperately want to. Until, until God allows it. Until God allows it, until they finished verse 7, their testimony. And now we read the first of 36 mentions in Revelation of the beast. The Antichrist. Empowered by Satan, he comes out of the abyss. And uh, he makes war on them and conquers them and kills them. And such is the disdain and hatred of mankind against these two faithful witnesses that when they're killed, the dead bodies lie in the street. Jerusalem symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, such as their wickedness and their persecution of God's people, where their Lord was crucified. And they won't even give them a, a burial. They want their bodies to lie there and rot for all to see and gloat over. And for three and a half days, people gaze at their dead bodies. For every people and tribe and language, can you imagine these days how easy that would be? You know, you can imagine sort of internet streams or TV streams or whatever, and let's not speculate on the, on the details, but the technology would easily allow it, wouldn't it? They won't let them be buried. And the people of Earth party. They rejoice in a pretty sickening way that God's two witnesses are dead. The bodies are left rotten in the streets. And the people make merry, they party. International, worldwide celebration. They exchange presents. And they're glad that these two people who prophesied the truth, God's truth, are finally gone. Such is man's wicked, rebellious heart against the truth of God. And they're about to get the shock of their lives.
Three and a half days later, God brings them back to life. They're raised up, a breath of life from God enters them. And as they've been left to rot in the streets, they stand up on their feet. Little wonder, great fear fell on those who saw them. Imagine that. Perhaps people watching live across the world. Footage gathered. And great fear falls on those who see them. And they're called up to heaven. Just as John was called up to heaven in chapter 4 and verse 1. Now these two witnesses are told, come up here. And they go up to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies watch them. There's a great earthquake. Tenth of the city falls, 7,000 people killed. The rest are terrified. And give glory to the God of heaven. In the darkest times this world will see our God has his witnesses. He always has his witnesses. And in our final section from chapter 11 verse 15 to 19 we're going to get the answer to the question that we might have asked earlier. How long? How long? How long before this is all brought to a conclusion and God's judgments are concluded and the Lord Jesus reigns? How long before he comes to this earth, returns to this earth to reign? Well, we're about to get our answer. Because look what happens in chapter 11 verse 15. The seventh angel blows his trumpet. And, uh, of course, the seven bowls or vials are going to be revealed, the wrath of God, and we'll have a few chapters before we read about that. Chapter 15 to 16. But we're fast moving towards the culmination of the outpouring of God's judgment on a rebellious world. And after that, the Lord Jesus returns to earth for his millennial reign. So the seventh angel blows his trumpet and the scene shifts to heaven. I'm glad the scene shifts to heaven because you know, I, think, I think we need a bit of a lift right now, don't we? And the scene shifts to heaven and there's loud voices in heaven and they're saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and there's joy, there's rejoicing that the power of Satan and Satan was defeated at the cross but his power is finally about to be broken forever in every way and the Lord Jesus is going to reign and the 24 elders these representatives of the, the, the raptured church they sit in their thrones before God and what do they do? As they see what God is doing. They fall on their faces. And they worship God. And of course they're kind of looking forward still. Because we're still starting to read of these bowls of wrath. But they're looking forward and do you know what? The tense of the words as they speak of this. They're talking about things. They're talking about them as if they've already taken place. Such is the certainty that they're going to happen. And they say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. You know, he's sovereign, he's omnipotent. 
who is and who was, he's eternal. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. Oh, we've seen that, haven't we? Their deep-seated hostility against God. But your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And here's a lovely thing that John sees. As God's wrath is about to be poured out in all its culmination on the earth, on unrepentant humanity, God's temple, verse 19, in heaven, is opened. And the Ark of His Covenant is seen within His temple. Now the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, a place that Back in Old Testament times, the high priest could only go once a year. And as God is unleashing his judgment on unbelievers, it's as if he throws open the Holy of Holies and says to, his, to believers, to his people, come into my presence. Come into my presence and enjoy unbroken fellowship with me forever. And there's flashes of lightning... There's rumblings, there's peals of thunder, there's an earthquake, there's heavy hail. Back in chapter 4 we read of some of those things and it reminded us of God's majesty. In chapter 8 we read of similar things that remind us of God's judgment. Our God is sovereign, he's majestic and he'll do what is right. So our God will intervene. Our God has his witnesses and our God will reign. How do we respond to all that? Maybe I learned maybe I learned the hard way how to how to look at Revelation. When I was at school, when I was at secondary school, we we had a we had a great privilege. We had quite a number of Christians in our school. And that was a great privilege. And I realise that some of you are sitting here and you probably don't have that privilege and you know, we just stand with every 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 one of our young folks who's maybe the, the only Christian in their class or year or school. We had quite a number of Christians in our school, so we, we had we we, we uh, had a really good scripture union. Um, we met twice a week. Once a week, we did a kind of outreach thing where we did a very much a sort of you know gospel orientated outreach to. Uh, to, to fellow pupils and that was a great opportunity, a great privilege and once a week those of us who were Christians met for Bible study and of course uh, at one point we decided well let's study Revelation and so we read all about the judgments and the seals and the trumpets and the vials and the Antichrist and all this I'm really getting in, in depth in it and I probably remember far more of the detail of it then than even now. And then one, one night we were having a school concert and afterwards one of the parents of one of the, uh, one of the girls who came to Scripture Union says, can I have a word with you? She says, my daughter's terrified about all this revelation stuff and she's having nightmares and she can't sleep. And I felt awful. 
Someone spoke to her. You know, the thing is, let's let's take reassurance here. We can take reassurance that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're not going to go through this. The Lord Jesus will have taken us out before that, taken us to be with himself, taken us to heaven in the rapture. We're not going to go through this. It should spur us on to tell others about the Lord Jesus. But we can know too that our God is in control. This is not some sort of horror movie where he, you know, where things have gone out of control. Our God is in control. He'll bring about his purposes. And we flip the scene to heaven, just like it does in chapter 11. And in response to this, what do we do when we're faced with the awesome power of God? We fall down and we worship him. We're only halfway through the book. If you want to be encouraged, turn and see how it ends. We'll get there in a few weeks. But meantime, may it be that we fall on our faces as we see our great God and we worship Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us what is going to happen. Not just because you know, although you do, because you have planned and purposed it in your sovereign will. In accordance with your character and your absolute righteousness. And you will do what is right. And so we worship you. We worship you, the one who is the creator, the one who is forever lasting, the one who is absolutely righteous. And we rejoice that you will do what is right. Now help us this week. Pray for each one of your people. For you know what they're facing right now. Many of us are going through times that are difficult in different ways. Help us this week, whatever we face, to lift our eyes to you and to worship you for all your goodness to us.